0: Hi everyone and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist with me your host Chloe Timms. In this episode I'm talking to Louisa Reed about her literary novel The Poet. Louisa is an English teacher who lives near Manchester with her family. She's written novels for young adults exploring female empowerment and personal freedom but The Poet is her first novel for adults and written in verse. In this episode we discuss her love for and challenges of writing in verse How writing in verse makes her focus on the crucial scenes of her novel and why, to be a writer, you need to develop a thick skin. But first, here's Louisa with an excerpt from The Poet. Michaelmar's term, hunger. There are students everywhere,
1: strutting magpies. They chatter in black gowns and white bow ties. Crowds of them, loudly matriculating. I wait and watch. Lean against a wall beneath a bridge of sighs, wearing a tight black dress and stupid heels that trip me up on the ancient stones. I wonder if I laughed as much when I was them, or smiled so widely. Can't remember where I went that day, what I did, with whom or why. Smoking a cigarette, I stab the wall with a stiletto and wait for you to come cycling up the lane, barrelling forwards, the rebuke of your bell, the chiming tinnitus of evening. I ought not to be here, wasting time, should be inside one of those book-lined rooms, safe in the refuge of paper and hard work. I have been attending to other things. In the last week, I have noticed the colour of turning leaves, Vivid shocks of sun slicing across crenellated skies, and I have noticed the smell of the season, damp and rich, so dark it's almost black, and the rub of soil in my shoes between my toes. I have been thinking about how things rot and decompose, wishing I understood the chemistry of it, the biology and physics of degeneration, so that I might apply this understanding to loss of my own. Because if ideas can breathe, then surely they can lose the will to live. You shouldn't smoke, the man beside me says. His spectacles skew with breath, hot with port, ripe with cheese and opinion. I've forgotten his name and he won't know mine. But he's someone I should be trying to impress. Gatekeeper, key holder, big swinging intellect. I should try at least to oil his hinges with the grease of my civility. I understand deference and the imperative to not embarrass you or myself, but tonight my head refuses to nod and my smile is a dead thing. I shrug and take out my lighter and a cigarette. Well, at least I'm still young enough to give up, I say, swinging my legs free from under the table. Ignoring swivelling eyes and looks exchange like a congress of ominous old birds, they stare. I walk away. The candlelight shudders and the faculty turn back to peck at their cheese and the state of the world, of which I am an apposite example, certain of their a priori assumptions about my behaviour. Young, too much lipstick and skin. Silly, emotional, doesn't know what she thinks.
0: Hi Louisa, thank you for joining me on the podcast today to discuss your debut adult novel, The Poet. Hello,
1: it's so nice to be here with you Chloe, thank you for inviting me. It's just lovely um, to get the chance to chat about it, thank you.
0: Yeah and I love novels in verse so as soon as I found out that that's what you were working on and that's what you'd written I was really excited. So could you start by telling us what The Poet is about? I
1: will. So the poet is a story of um, a young woman called Emma Elliott, and she is both poet and also academic. She's studying for a DPhil Oxford University, and she's young, clever, talented, etc., etc. But she's at a point of sort of at the start of the book of despair and inaction facing the, the hideous writer's block in all in all in all of her work. Um, so the question is, really, why isn't the, the relationship she has with the charming, clever, callous um, Tom doing her uh, any good? And to what extent is that having an impact on this um, brilliant young woman? So it's a story, I think, of love gone bad, of revenge, of the power of a woman's words and believing, self-belief, Um, and believing that that your words haven't have the worth to be heard
0: Mm. and I wonder where that inspiration for you began because I got the sense from it you were really keen on exploring this kind of like toxic relationship that Emma and Tom have and how it evolved from this whirlwind romance to something very disappointing and flattening for Emma so can you tell us where it all began for you
1: yeah i mean i think the toxic romance element of it um is it's a really interesting question um because tom plays this role really of of a force that is incredibly powerful that pins down her imagination pins down her self-worth and kind of removes her 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 belief and i was just very interested through kind of over the years, seeing how many women writers through the ages, artists, their work's been overshadowed or minimised by um, uh, their male counterparts or by society, because um, the poetic tradition is kind of so masculine still. Um, and I think that this idea of a woman floundering feeling like she's not good enough is something that loads and loads of people can um associate with whether you're in the writing world or whatever or the academic world it's something that resonates um and I name check a few like Zelda Fitzgerald and Colette these famous women writers um who've either had bits of their work nicked or plagiarized or um they they or they just haven't been heard really so that was where it came from i think and uh but but tom for me as well as being her her lover he stands for lots more he stands for kind of patriarchy and status and power um so he's a he's a symbolic figure as well as being an actual character in the story and i don't i don't know if you you feel that came through but that's what that's what i felt about him that And he was almost like um, a manifestation of all of those of all of those um, oppressive
0: forces. Absolutely. He is the, the personification of all these barriers in her way, not just yes. herself, but academically. And like you say, in society, did you feel that you were maybe channeling your own past frustrations with uh, moving forward in your writing career or? like writer's block death self-doubt were those things that you channeled when you were writing this novel
1: oh yeah completely yes yeah but that, that's such a an ever-present thing isn't it that like oh will it be good enough am I good enough is this writing worth reading will anybody want to does anybody care I mean, it's the perennial um question isn't it over um uh, is my is my work good enough and that comes pretty easily I think um and is an interesting thing to explore no it is and it's funny because you know, you've you have books published but there's still that nagging doubt and you the, that question over and the the terrible thing of comparing yourself to others well they're doing better than me I must be doing something wrong here what is it um can I do better and so on I mean we should never compare ourselves with others I think it's just a, a hiding to nothing isn't it mm. but yeah I think those were those were rich seems to mine for me
0: yeah but easier said than done not to compare yourself I think
1: absolutely so much easier said than
0: done so let's talk about the form of your novel then because we mentioned it's a novel in verse and I love that form I think it's absolutely great I really love um Sarah Crossman's um mm. I've the title of it here is the beehive here is the beehive Yes, and I thought your novel really reminded me of that because that is, I mean, it's exploring a different type of relationship, but it's got that intensity of, of, I think, that's what the verse brings to it because I think it's, your novel packs a real punch and obviously there's, because it's in verse, there's a lot less space, there's a lot less words than a a kind of standard um, regular prose novel um why verse then what is it that appeals to you about writing in this way
1: I just love it and it's I think it's because I've always been a big poetry fan but one of the forms of poetry i really really enjoy is a dramatic monologue when that you've got that that character telling a story to um the audience and they're, they're so fascinating to me how you can marry up the kind of narrative but also with the voice um so it's just i guess a kind of extension of that to a certain extent the 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 charlotte new element of that i want to talk a little bit about that it's it's kind of i read her farmer's bride poem and i thought oh this is just amazing um the way she she inhabits this different voice but through poetry and that's quite a short dramatic monologue really so I just got kind of got hooked with the experimentation with it. As you say, because of the brevity, there's a punch to it and a power to it, and you're just getting on with it. and mm-hmm. I I find like I find that very exciting as a writer because I don't rarely feel bogged down. Um, and I'm always kind of moving on. And there's a push forwards because of the of the succinct nature of it. And because you're trying to hone in and zoom in on those intense um, subjective feelings. And that also really works for me the way I think, the way I feel uh, and um, getting into my character's head, trying to come as close to them as I possibly can. So I think I I pretty much write all of my verse in first person, trying to make that um character come through to the to the reader very, very closely um, and picking the the right words for it. Um, I just love the, I just love that, the, the finding the perfect way to express the the feeling, the emotion, the moment. It's something very, very satisfying about it.
0: Did you go into this novel, knowing you were going to write it in verse?
1: Yes, yeah definitely, because i can't I can't really not write in verse now, but also the the subject matter is so perfect for it because it's about a poet who's writing about a poet and the kind of the whole plot turns on. The, the idea of words and language and who owns those words and that language. So I definitely went into it knowing that I was going to write this in verse. And um but it, it it I think it works well. I hope it works well. I somebody once asked me if there's any any areas subject matter that's kind of off limits or wouldn't fit the verse novel. And I, I'm not sure. I need to think more about that. There, there, there may well be, I guess, if something was a bit drier. but if anything's about emotion or relationships or connections between people, that is always going to be, I think, a um, theme, which fits poetry. Mm. Um, so, yeah.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned Charlotte Mew, who Emma the narrator is writing about and, um she's very caught up in Charlotte's life and her work um I didn't know who Charlotte Mew was when I when I read this novel and I looked her up um and I don't think you necessarily need to know about her but can you um for the benefit of the podcast tell us a little bit about Charlotte Mew and why she became your poet of choice and Emma's poet of choice definitely um so
1: I first came across her because I like you, I hadn't heard of this poet. Um, and I've, despite having spent years in education and studying English and so on and so forth. But I first came across her when I was teaching um, a GCSE anthology and this poem that I just mentioned, The Farmer's Bride, was in there. And so I looked her up to find out more about her and her work. Because I thought, well, why do not I know about you? Because this is really amazing. Um, and she fascinated me, her life, her um her, the time at which she was living, the way in which she was acknowledged in her lifetime as somebody with huge potential but also talent all there that she, she was um at Hardy and Sassoon and Wolf. They were also this is a great poet. This is a poet for um generations to come. Everybody needs to know this writer's work. She's you know the real deal. And then we didn't nobody did know about her she just got forgotten and I found that fascinating how that can happen um she really had something she really did different things with form and she was somebody who wouldn't you know do what editors or publishers told her to do her this poem the farmer's bride the lines are so long that they kind of go off the end of the page some of them but instead of so she wouldn't accept that she had to kind of short them down and and for for publication she instead made the the publisher do it landscape instead so it would accommodate her vision of her work so she was really feisty and tough but at the same time kind of shy as well and she had a very very difficult life uh, with a lot of familial illness uh, especially mental illness um and that impacted her work a lot and, w- and makes some of the themes extremely interesting and i think she she suffered and that that again is very interesting to see this woman, how she wrote such beautiful and interesting work that has that each poem, I mean, could have um, 10, 20 other poems that that could that would it be inspired by it. But yet her fame was so limited and she fell into so such obscurity for so long. But I think she's coming out of that obscurity again now, which is wonderful to see. As I said, she's on a GCSE spec. She's um, in an A-level. Um, anthology as well Julia Copas just wrote a couple of years ago the most amazing biography um, this rare spirit which is brilliant that came out after I'd finished the first draft and, and got the deal with Doubleday and I thought oh sh- god this books come out what if I've got it all wrong about Charlotte Mew so I was reading reading, and it's so wonderful it's a brilliant biography and I and, and the stuff that I'd put in fortunately was right to to the extent that it needed to be there's a little bit of playing around with this idea of did she write poems that she then rolled up and uh, used as roll ups to and smoked away Um. so was there a whole kind of work that was lost, lost because she didn't believe in herself and I don't know whether that or not that's true but I played it around with that notion Um. so yeah she's just for me she's the most fascinating figure for her intelligence and her imagination and creativity and that kind of boundary breaking writing just love her
0: And certainly she's a huge inspiration for Emma and Emma is the driving force of the story and you've mentioned that for writing in verse you feel like you have to have a really strong first person narrative and you definitely do in this novel because Emma's mindset is very passionate but also because she's trapped there's a feeling of frustration and anger and particularly directed towards Tom. Um, Did you find that her voice came to you kind of quite instantly or quite easily and how did you if it didn't how did you get into that mindset I think
1: it came pretty easy she spends quite a lot of the time being either angry or quite fed up and I'd say that's probably me I'm always like, ah, or or, actually I spent quite a lot of time laughing at stuff as well and um and taking the Mickey. So I think with her there was a there was a fine line to tread as well with making sure that she was she remained sympathetic and didn't become too kind of um self-pitying or or had any sort of um unpleasant hubris i think that that's reserved for tom really um but yes i really enjoyed her voice i liked um uh, she did she can get a bit sweary at times i guess that's that's also something that i enjoy too and that's uh, that's they had to pull back on um and not overdo it but yeah her, i think her voice came quite easily to me she's a massive contrast in voice to the character i've just done in my latest ya activist who does not suffer in silence. Emma spends too long in uh, suffering in silence, perhaps. And I think some readers say, ah, oh, just leave him, leave the mm-hmm. bastard. But um she's she 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 goes about things in a s- slightly different way, more subtle uh, and bides her time using her brain as a as a and her intellect to solve her problems whereas my new character in activist she's just like in there straight away that's not fair you're not getting away with that not having any of it and i think i'm much more in terms of my approach to the world maybe more like emma than like cassie an activist um I'm, i don't like confrontation anything to avoid it
0: and i won't give away what emma does and mm. the way she's her brain to um outwit or solve her her issue but it, I thought it was delicious was the word that I used to describe yes. it. It was incredibly satisfying. So yeah. tell us then about Tom, her, her lover and her former, I mean, he was her former lecturer. He is still a lecturer working at university and absolutely completely detestable, which is exactly what you wanted to achieve. Um. So can you tell us a little bit about his character and how his effect on Emma, because he alters her, sense of worth and in a, mm. in quite a well I guess it's subtle possibly when you're living through it but when you're observing it like we are mm. it is awful to witness so can you tell us a little bit about him
1: yeah so he's somebody who will go to any lengths I, th- I think to maintain his power and position and he's drawn to Emma because he can see that she's very bright very talented but at the same time He likes her best when she's weak, when she's broken. So it's that very interesting dynamic where somebody can use your. Talent, almost or or that what is great about you to undermine you and it's a it's a play on the kind of teacher student as you said relationship um and that exploitation that can come with that when there's a power imbalance and he understands and he knows that she idolizes him that she idealizes him and he can use that to his advantage he's um Hot, hopefully. Well, she finds him hot, big, strong, sexy. She's mostly attracted to his brain, though I think, which she believe Emma believes is godlike. She puts him on this pedestal, and he takes advantage of that. He he um, he uses that, and there's a, there's a real worm at his heart. But what's interesting, I think about about that kind of a character, in Tom, is he doesn't even acknowledge his own cruelty. He can't really ever see it that he does anything wrong, and he won't reflect on himself and take on board any criticism or even see see a true reflection in the mirror he sees what he wants to see and um, so she becomes that, a kind of that prisoner with the door wide open she could she could leave she could go she could stop this but she's imprisoned by the version of herself that he's made her uh believe that she is until she sees the light hooray <laughs> Um, but yes, he's. I, I found him a fascinating character to write. There was even a moment where I felt a tiny bit sorry for him, which was awful, and I felt myself almost doing the Emma, like, oh, poor you, no, this is too cruel, I can't do this. But then in the end, I relished it and I just <laughs> got on with it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I struggled to see that you would um, feel sorry for him, but maybe... A little moment of mortification on his behalf mm-hmm. uh-huh. um okay. yeah so yeah, yeah but but possibly not before that moment I don't think you'd feel sorry for anything it. think yeah
1: it's it's only then yes only yeah. then
0: yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned that one thing you love about the writing in verse is that kind of the fact that you have to write the big scenes and the big moments and push the story forwards mm-hmm. I imagine that it poses its own challenges because you have to really pick your language and you have to pick your scenes very carefully because there's no space for you to you know languish in describing a beautiful house or or you know a a tree or whatever whatever you want to describe you have got to kind of get to the point and it's all got to be punchy and it's got to have that rhythm of the Mm -hmm. verse so Mm. how how did you go about that
1: well I don't really plan it I just do it I feel it and then I express it I see the I see those scenes like a film very very visually at the same time as feeling them um so it's I think there is a sense of place there's the kind of streets and landscape of Oxford the the little house they live in which she finds claustrophobic and but the place is always very closely connected to the emotion. And seen through the through the emotion. So instead of kind of uh, the majesty of um that u- wonderful university city, Emma begins to find it a, a place of walls, a place of constriction that tightens around, or a maze where she's lost. So I'm always I'm always using everything, I guess, in terms of the setting and the movement and the the any description comes in via emotion and via the subjective experience but it's I guess it's it's always I'm always thinking of it as I said scenically in scenes where we're here we're here we're here we're, here, we're moving on we're always going forward and um, so there's there's a there is that narrative drive so you can't as you say languish too long with anything overtly descriptive because you you're Trying to, I'm trying to propel my reader to keep them going, to keep them engaged in in the verse. But yes, it's I'm not really one for sitting down and plotting those scenes out. They just kind of seem to follow on, follow on as if that is a, it's all kind of unraveling before you, like a fit, like a film does. I don't know if that makes sense.
0: What is it like then to edit? Because I imagine you're there with a kind of scalpel. You can't suddenly chop huge amounts away because that will spoil the the rhythm and the the way the verse unfolds so what what is that like or do you find that you don't have to edit in a big way
1: yeah there was one of my verse novels wrecked I had to edit in a big way and that was a major change in terms of chronology and things so um, I changed what was a what was just kind of start at the beginning and finish at the end to a a courtroom scene over three days with loads of flashbacks in it. That was hell on earth to to edit. It was just like a terrible jigsaw. My brain was aching, but with this one, you're, you're right. It was more like going back in with a scalpel and sharpening things until they were doing till the words, the language was working as hard as it possibly could be and taking out any kind of unnecessary repetition or just paring back But adding in as well, actually, once I got into the editing process, I think I wrote some of the some of the best bits of the book because I felt it's funny, isn't it? Somebody had said, yeah, this is a good book. We want to we want to buy this book. We want to publish this book. We want to celebrate. And, And that gave me the faith and confidence I needed to go even further and better with it Mm. Uh, does that does that ring any chime anything with you do you find that in editing after you've kind of got the got the deal that you've that that that's when the best stuff
0: comes yeah and I think there's a level of emotional detachment as well because you're further away from the point that you actually cried and sweated and bled all over your words so when you're removing them and taking out the the fluff it doesn't feel as painful because you don't remember that day on a Wednesday afternoon where you sat there staring at the screen for three hours and not writing yeah. anything um, yeah. and the, the you know the words were dragged out of you but I mean sometimes I, I can remember the scenes that were difficult or particularly challenging and you know I took a long time agony, agonizing over but I think the thing to remember is that the, the reader doesn't ever see that part of it and it's that's quite interesting because you um, I found the only time I ever can detach like that is when I listened to the audiobook, because it, oh. it performed, it didn't. I couldn't see the scenes, if you see what I mean. Um, yeah. It all worked as as one for me. Whereas when I was reading it as a text, I'm like, "Oh, that scene, that one that I struggled over." Yes, <laughs> yes.
1: ah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know what you mean. Um, you, it, it's a it's a different experience, isn't it? It does become it becomes the the kind of artefact almost that you are able to see slightly more objectively
0: Mm, definitely Um, you've obviously written novels in verse for young adults, and you're comfortable with that form and you really enjoy it. But was there a part of you that was nervous or was worried about writing a novel in verse for adults? Because I think things are changing. I think we're seeing more experimental forms, shorter novels, novellas, things like that, that are becoming more popular. But did you ever feel that nerves of I mean obviously you sold the book but was there ever a moment where you were like mm, is this gonna is this gonna work is this gonna sell
1: yeah definitely completely it was I was wary I wasn't sure there was a huge appetite out there for for verse novels I mean you mentioned Sarah Crossan and there's other brilliant experimental fiction absolutely like Bernadine Evaristo one of my favorite um, poets who also writes that I guess I feel like they're verse novels. She's called Anne Carson. She's absolutely amazing. Um, And there are the verse novels out there if you can find them but you've got to go digging you've got to go hunting a bit it's not like that everybody's going to say oh yes I know that I know exactly I've got this suggestion for you why don't you read this one you've got you do need to you need do need to to seek them out so I, I did wonder would this be a project that anybody that a publisher would take the risk with um would it be the sort of project that a reader will want to to try, and some people are put off instantly the word you say, poetry. Mm -hmm. They think, novel in verse, what a novel written in poems? No way, because they hate poems because maybe they've had a bad experience at school or they just think it's an elitist thing where you can't get into it because it's going to be so tricky and difficult. But happily, um, I think people, if they do try it, they soon realise that that because it's free verse, it's the organic rhythms of natural speech that it carries them forward, actually. It's propulsive rather than being repellent. So people say they, oh, they forget they were reading a novel in verse, which is interesting in itself, isn't it? And maybe, I don't know, that's because of the plot, perhaps, that, that I, don't, I don't is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? I'm not, I'm not sure. But um, it's, it's uh, certainly a tricky thing because you are going to potentially alienate readers by saying that's the form of it. But then again, readers will get alienated if you say, well, that's a fantasy novel. They say, well, I don't like that. That's a romance. I don't like that. So you can't win a, we can't win everybody. No, I, yeah. You're, so. you're
0: never you're never going to get everyone reading a book or everyone liking a book. But yeah, yeah it's funny, isn't it? Because I don't really read poetry and, and I've always felt like don't get it, don't understand it. And I worry that it will go over my head. But I think I have taken a chance on a couple of novels in verse and loved them, and I think mm-hmm. it is—it's the way I guess poetry, if you love it, makes you feel because it's so visual and it's—I it, like you said—it's quite an exciting form for a novel. And I think if anyone is a bit cautious about it or nervous about reading a novel in verse, I would say give it a go because mm-hmm. you'd be surprised how accessible it is because mm-hmm. of the because there is a story running through it and it's you know it's speedy it's quite pacey to read um, yeah. and so if you're someone that's thinking oh, I don't I don't really get poetry or I don't read it or I don't like it give give novels and verse a go because I think it's a different experience and it doesn't give you that feeling of you're in school when you've got to analyze a poem or anything like that it's a different feeling I think
1: yes completely and it's I think that's why it's great for young adults as well because the brevity, the the page turning, because there's so few words on a page, there's a sense of, oh, yeah, I'm I'm
0: getting through this. Oh, through this. Yeah, I'm yeah. Through
1: this. And that's great because you want to. We want to encourage. Uh, as an English teacher, I want to encourage reading as as much and as widely as possible. So I feel like novels and verse, especially for for young young adult readers, are the are a brilliant brilliant way to get kids engaged in language, in story, in seeing the beauty and power of books. Mm. And I don't see why that shouldn't work for adult readers as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's talk about your career as a young adult writer because you've written a few books for young adults, and um, I just wondered really how that kind of conversation went with your agent. Did you did you change agents? I wondered what that process was. When did you make that decision that you were gonna just gonna write for adults?
1: Well, I didn't really, um, and I didn't change my agent. I I didn't tell my agent I was doing it, I don't think, or I might have mentioned it in passing and she didn't, say what the hell are you thinking stop (laughs) now (laughs) um I just did it I didn't really I just felt like it so I did it um I'm not very good at being strategic about things I just do what what the the mood takes me and fortunately Jessica Hare my agent um she loves novels in verse she absolutely adored it and she gave me, again, the confidence to say, yeah, this is great. Go for it. And she took so she is a, a children's writers agent, but she was so wonderful in um, just thinking, yeah, we, we're we going to do this. We're going to get it out there. And um, so I was absolutely delighted that she was on board with it. If she if she hadn't been on board, I would have been gutted. And then I would have had to go off and find someone who would represent it, wouldn't I? Uh, that would have been that. Yeah, that would have been a bit of a pain but thank god for jessica yeah Yeah,
0: well she must have been so impressed to agree to kind of represent that novel if if her experiences within children's and young adult fiction for her to to take a um an adult novel to um submission is is incredible really just a sign of how strong she felt the book was yeah
1: she's brilliant yeah lucky lucky
0: do you think there's any significant differences between writing for adults and writing for young adults swearing
1: yeah. well I was <laughs> gonna say about that but I did mention the swearing didn't I I think when I, I had some 50 or plus um f words so I won't say it because it's a podcast we don't want to be swearing on the People podcast swear,
0: it's fine All
1: right. <laughs> I had to whittle them down and I think I got out sit down to about 10 or 12 so that's pretty good going isn't it really I think that the book's but for young adults and adults, everybody wants a good story, whether you're a teenager or a grown up. I think maybe there is a bit more room in my adult writing for me to be a bit more introspective, ask a bit more of the, the reader to allow greater um, kind of internal monologue. Or But that's there in, in my young adult as well. I think all I'm still dealing with hard hitting stuff in both thematically maybe I can be more brutal about the bleaker and darker aspects in adults. but both books have hope both kind of across those those age ranges the the hope is I think there and um, not all is lost maybe there's a bit more sex in the poet than, or implied it's not graphic by any means but there's, I've done that in young adults as well. So I think it's it's largely similar. I'm just aging up the, the protagonist, aging up the other characters, and taking on the themes from young adult that may be in a, just in the more adult context. So whereas in activist, I'm dealing with a school and kind of the, the problems of, of inequality in school, in the poet, it's university world, the world of work, um and for those reasons it's more um perhaps more applicable uh, relatable to the to the adult reader than to the young adult reader but i i don't know as i so i think there's a lot of a lot of um similarities really in the in what i'm doing but i have just gone for it with my language in the poet where as in my young adult maybe I'm not being quite so demanding in terms of the 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 vocabulary the imagery that etc cetera, etc cetera. but it's still pretty I'd,
0: I'd hope it's still rich do you have any advice for anyone that's kind of wanting to make that switch between writing for different age groups is there anything that you would say um you would advise them to do or not do
1: just read loads. I mean, that's always the thing, isn't it? You have got to know your, you've got to know your market. So I don't think you can be a young adult writer if you don't ever read any young adult books, and vice versa. So that's key. Another thing is just be brave, have a go, see if you can do it. Why not? I didn't know if I could, but I just thought I'm gonna, I'm challenge yourself. I mean, it's it's good, isn't it, to try and keep things fresh and mm. and different and um mix it up a bit. So I really enjoyed the challenge of it and yeah I th- I think don't limit yourself
0: so can you tell us a little bit about your writing routine as I know you're an English teacher as your day job um mm-hmm. very demanding job we I've spoken to a couple of other teachers on the podcast before um I'm a former teacher myself but I know how much of a difficult job it is and what a time consuming job mm-hmm. it is as well so do you have a, a set time you write are, are you fitting it around your job do you have um I don't know do you do you write on weekends what's your what's your method
1: when I started I was one of those and my kids were small I was a thousand words a day person and I sat down when the children were in bed and I did my thousand words a day and that's how I did finish black heart blue and was it just went got it done now I've become so idle I am just <laughs> awful <laughs> I'm faffing around Messing about, I blame the internet. Actually, it's Twitter, it's Instagram, it's all of that rubbish. I feel I never, you on that. Yeah, yeah. Never used to be on any of those things, so they they do spoil a lot for me, and I should just leave. um But
0: <laughs> you know, I don't. I, I like don't it. know. I do find that some. I find sometimes I'm a I'm a big Twitter fan, but I find I, I see other people going. I've written three thousand words a day, and then I'm like, oh. Oh. now it means i have to go and do some
1: <laughs> yeah yes exactly <laughs> exactly um so yeah i've just joined your club which I can't come to tonight because it's parents evening, but I am going to be at your writing from here on in because it's on a Thursday and Thursday is usually my day off in inverted commas. Um, But yeah, I, so I'm working four days a week now with just one day. uh, So which also I need to do school visits on. So I, I do try and do a bit at the weekends. That's really the time, but it's, it's, I've become a bit, as I said, lazy with it. And I need to up the ante again. Um, and I need to get back into a routine, but I think when you have a book out because the poet was June and then activist has been just today published today, it's there's almost like where's the space in that mm-hmm. for me to be working on a new thing and it's it's a bit difficult, but I have started something new. I just needed to I needed more thinking time with it, though, I think I'm getting there with the what is this really about? yeah, because you gotta until I really know that then. then stuff isn't as good as it could be so Mm.
0: that's something that comes later though I think isn't it you don't you don't start on page one with I'm going to write a novel about this and it's going to be thematically exploring this I think that comes out in the writing process definitely so is there anything you know now as a published author that you wish you'd known right back at the beginning before you started
1: you need your skin as thick as a rhinoceros is. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody said that. Um, the amount of resilience required is huge, isn't it? Mm. And I thought when I first got was published in 2012, I thought, oh, that's it. I'm an author now. Well, hey, it's done. I'm dusted. But it's not like that at all. You will always be having to... Start again, really, with each book. There's, mm-hmm. yes, you start begin to get a readership, perhaps, or people who support you and groups, and but I feel like every time it's a, it's again I'm beginning at the beginning. um So yeah, the resilience, the thick skin, and just quite how difficult it is to sell books. I think is something that's a revelation to me.
0: Yeah. So you already briefly touched on it just a minute ago, but can you tell us anything about what you're writing next? Well, I think it's going to, it's definitely going to be another novel in verse. So
1: that that is one thing. It will be a, a first person perspective about a woman. Um, and she is going to, yeah, it's going to be for adults. So it's, I'm going to try and get another adult one before I do any more young adults. And it will be about, it's going to be about tricky relationships. Yeah, it's going to be around women and their their love stories I guess but not in a very not in a very positive way it's going to be another dark doing but maybe this character is perhaps um more of a more wicked more wicked than she ought to be right Mm. so i'm still working through it all i'm still working through it all but she's going to be deeply deeply flawed
0: as the best characters are as the
1: best characters are (laughs) yes
0: (laughs) louisa thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today
1: oh thank you so much been really really lovely to chat
0: thank you that was louisa reed talking about her literary novel the poet which is out now and available to buy and if you'd like to support this podcast debut authors and independent bookshops you can now shop in the Confessions of a Debut Novelist bookshop hosted by bookshop.org which I've linked down below in the show notes. If you fancy buying any of the books you've heard on this podcast then the majority of them can be found in this bookshop and if you can I would really appreciate you supporting me, supporting the authors and independent bookshops by buying them through this online store. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you've subscribed already, it'd be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time.